This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It all starts with mindset. It's how you as a lender or a leader perceive yourself and perceive your organization. If you think that you're going to be the hero to whoever you're helping, you're already off on the wrong path. And what I mean by that is when we look at basic story narrative structure, which is part of communication patterns here, there can only be two heroes in a story. And we're back for another episode of the Housing News Podcast. I'm Clayton Collins, CEO at Housing Wire and your host for the Housing News Podcast. Today's guest is phenomenal. He was referred to me by David Licken, and I knew it was going to be good when Dave made the recommendation. Today's guest is James Robert Lay, the founder and CEO at the Digital Growth Institute. James works with institutions across banking and mortgage to optimize their digital strategies. And we're not just talking about tech stacks. We're also talking about messaging, brand, and bringing humility into the tech stack and consumer and employee experience. James is a best-selling author, and he's the host of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast, which is phenomenal. He's done over 350 episodes and has killer reviews, so you should check that out. James's next book, Banking on Change is coming out early in 2024. So I'm personally really excited to read that book and I hope that you'll check it out as well. I hope you enjoy today's episode with James Robert Lay, the founder and CEO of the Digital Growth Institute. All right, folks, today's guest is James Robert Lay, founder and CEO of the Digital Growth Institute. James, thanks for joining us. Clayton, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. And in prep, we we uncovered that you are an economist, correct? So we're going to spend all of our time talking about economic forecasts for the housing market. We are, and I'm going to send everyone down the wrong path on this one. <laughs> <laughs> just just messing with you. So everybody, I hope you heard the intro to this episode. But James is a digital anthropologist, and hundred um, percent honest honesty, James. I had to Google digital anthropologist. So so give us a glimpse. What does your role, your life, your business look like with your focus on yeah. digital anthropology? So it's so funny you say that. I ended up making a YouTube short specifically for my mother-in-law. <laughs> Whenever she's, people are talking to her, well, what does your son-in-law do? And now she has a video that she can go reference. But a long story short, a digital anthropologist, as a digital anthropologist, I'm studying the intersection of marketing, sales, technology, and most interesting to me, is human behavior. It's how are people interacting with marketing messages, sales messages through the lens of technology, websites, email, social media, etc. And the wild card of all of this, it is the human behavior component. And that behavior, and I joked in the beginning that we're going to spend our time talking about economic data, but one of the things that we've been focused on pretty wholeheartedly at Housing Wire is the intersection of of data and then consumer emotion and, and consumer behavior, which seems to be a, a major topic in, in housing right now, that economic data is influencing how consumers 
buy or don't buy or feel about their financing of a, of a new home. Um, but I think that behavior and the emotion that, that comes with it is also really influenced by, by technology. So give us a glimpse. Now that we understand what a digital anthropologist is, how does your work translate into the financial services industry and where do you spend your time? Yeah. So we work people through the banking on digital growth method and it's four steps. Step number one is we secret shop a institutions or a mortgage bank, mortgage lender, their website. And what we're looking for, back to your point, is how do people feel? What's the vibe that they're getting? Uh, do they feel confident or do they feel confused? Do they feel frustrated? Because those feelings and emotions will directly influence the next steps that they take going forward. From there, we do a team alignment workshop to where we bring all the executives, the senior leaders, marketing and sales team, get them speaking a common language internally because we believe that all transformation that leads to future growth begins within and it starts with the internal side, the self and then the team. From there, we do a deeper dive digital growth blueprint. So here's the strategy that you need that you can take forward to then go to step number four and build what we call a digital growth engine that leads to future growth, leads to loans. So most of the lenders in our in our space um, operate in multiple channels. Are we talking today primarily about that that digital first consumer direct channel, or does the the shopping and analysis of consumer experience and consumer vibe extend to retail and and other distribution channels in the financial services industry? It's very interesting. So what our primary focus is through the digital first lens. However, we find most interesting is that the faster a brand or an organization or a lender connects one human being with another human being, regardless of if that connection is made in the face-to-face physical world through the digital channels, i.e. email, Zoom, or even through just text messaging, there's a higher propensity for conversion. So it's this idea of human-to-human connection regardless of channel and that's been the most fascinating find I think we found over the years. I think we understand in today's consumer that nobody's walking into a, a retail bank branch or a retail mortgage shop or talking to a real estate agent for the first time without doing a little bit of digital research and, and homework first. So that shopping of the digital experience isn't just like, all right, if we click this button, we can move quickly into an application. It's also like does the digital presence of this brand and product or experience actually flow into the way the company wants to sell. Am I, am I hearing you the right way? It's interesting when we do the secret shopping studies, we tend to find that that's the intent. Oftentimes is we're trying to get to click as fast as possible. Click to conversion where my recommendation is get from click to conversation, conversation to conversion um, a lot of times we find with loan applications. So for example, if someone clicks apply, well, they click apply, but then we see 60 to 85, 90% abandonment rate on those applications where when you put what we call a pre-app in front of the application, just to get a name, an email address, a phone number. And if someone abandons, guess what? We have intent. We have a conversation that we can call us. Hey, you started this. Yeah. We saw you didn't complete it. What can I do to help you take those next steps on your journey to get in the home you love? Love that. So, James, we were introduced by Dave Licken. I think he, the two of you met at Joe Waylu's Total Expert event. Uh, give us a glimpse into your your focus across the financial world. Is it, are you mortgage focused across banking? Like, where do you? How do you spend your time? What types of clients do you spend most of your time with? 
Most of my clients are community banks and credit unions, a little bit in the mortgage side. But when we look at a community bank or a credit union, there's a high mortgage uh, propensity there as well. And when it comes to that particular buying journey, it's one of the ones that we often cover first, because if you think about a community bank or a credit union, there are like five different product lines. You've got checking, credit card, auto, small to mid-sized business, and then mortgage. But we tend to focus on the mortgage side because of the complexity of that buying journey. It's a long buying journey, and that requires nurturing. It requires um, a, a different way. It's not transactional. I would say it's more transformational in nature. It's also I, I came out of retail banking early in my career, and um, the mortgage product suite is also one of the most competitive product suites in a community or retail bank's portfolio. People tend to make checking and savings account decisions off of convenience or referral with with less mm-hmm. um price and experience diligence uh yeah. but that mortgage product um people are so sticky about their their rate and and then the advice they're getting from a from an originator i can understand why it might be one of the more overlooked product areas in a community bank but also probably one of the needles that you can like act one of the the, the products that can move the needle the most with true digital investment Absolutely. And I think the the other thing too, it's a matter of perception. Um, a lot of times it's it's how are we communicating about our product line? How are we communicating about our mortgage offering? Um, is it being positioned as just another product in the product suite or is it uniquely positioned around what we like to say banking on expertise, that true knowledge that gives, that increases pe- people's clarity that then that clarity goes to increase their courage to commit to click the apply button or have that conversation with confidence. Yeah. Okay. So um, working with folks across the banking and financial services industry, do you start to identify any trends where you see uh, user behavior or adoption like that picks up first in consumer banking that we can learn from in mortgage banking or vice versa? Like, How, how do you take knowledge from across the consumer financial experience and apply it to clients? So one of the big trends you can apply from the cross, uh, no matter what the product line is, is I would say the majority of people, and this comes from the secret shopping studies that we have conducted, which is now over 1,200, and that's from all different product types, 80, 85% enter into their buying journey feeling A, confused, or B, some level of anxiety. Um, it's a, we'll just call it a negative emotion, if you will. And when you identify or understand what that negative emotion is, it's a bit, it's counterintuitive. Um, when you address the emotion, when you address the negative emotion through your positioning, through your communication, regardless of channel, you're actually making an empathetic statement to them saying, I understand how you feel. For example, getting a mortgage doesn't have to feel confusing and overwhelming. We can help guide you every step of the way. But by leaning into that, yeah, it does feel confusing. It does feel overwhelming. And I've had pushback on that. People are like, well, that sounds very negative to, to frame communication around that. I go, but that's how people feel. And when you address that, people understand that you understand how they feel. And that's digital empathy right there. So ta- let's get tactical. So like, what are some ways that a digital ex- experience can be evolved or iterated to incorporate more empathy? 
take a step back. Okay. It all starts with mindset. It's how you as a lender or a leader perceive yourself and perceive your organization. If you think that you're going to be the hero to whoever you're helping, you're already off on the wrong path. And what I mean by that is when we look at basic story narrative structure, which is part of communication patterns here, there can only be two heroes in a story. You have the protagonist, you have the antagonist. And a lot of lenders, from what we've looked at from a diagnostic perspective, they're positioning themselves as the hero. But people who are buying the home, getting the mortgage, they're the hero in their own mind. Yep. They're on their own hero's journey. They're the hero in their family. They're the hero yes. in the journey they're on. They're the, he- they're the new hero in their neighborhood. It, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. So when someone else enters into their narrative, positioning themselves through their communication as another hero, well, they're now entering into the narrative as almost an anti-hero. So enter the third character in story archetype. It's the helpful and empathetic guide. That's who heroes, people, consumers need. They're not looking for someone to save them. They're looking for someone to guide them because they're already the hero and the hero needs a guide. People are looking for an Obi-Wan because here's the thing. Without Luke, Obi-Wan would still be lost on Tatooine. Without um, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel's son would still be getting beat up by, by Johnny and the Cobra Kai. So this is the whole, when we get tactical, it all starts with mindset and perception of how we view ourselves. And when I've seen organizations make the flip from thinking that they're the hero to no, 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 we're the guide. It, it, it transforms the entire communication positioning now going forward and makes it much easier to make some of the recommendations or apply some of the recommendations that we make. Is it a common scenario for you to begin speaking with a, a lender or a bank that feels like they're the hero? Like that's their, like on day one or what they've been doing historically is that hero positioning? Absolutely. And and, and, it's, a, it, and it's not from a, a negative place. I think it's very noble, the work that they do. They perceive the work that they do as a very noble yep. work, that they are helping people. It's just a matter of perspective it, they haven't viewed it from the other lens or from the other angle from those buying their products. I've heard the messages like we we put people in houses or we helped a thousand families get into homes last year. And even if using the word help, now that we talked through this, that does have some some hero vibes to it. When mm-hmm. you say that like, like we put a thousand families in homes versus a thousand homeowners bought homes and we were the the Mr. Miyagi. Yes. And, and here's a, so once again, let's get tactical. Go in and look at the copy on any marketing channel. How are you framing this? Is it from the lens of we or from I, or is it from the frame of you? And it's just that simple shift in perspective. It changes the whole narrative structure. Very easy to do. Huge implications. And, and once again, this comes from not my opinion. It's coming from the opinion of people who are secret shopping these websites. Yep. Um, even, even think about this very tactical once again, but if you look at like a website 
you have what is called a hero banner on the homepage. Bit ironic, it's called a hero banner. And many times, particularly for community institutions, community banks and credit unions, people will say, oh, they're just trying to sell me something. And it's the way it's positioned versus we've worked with other organizations, other banks, other credit unions that have repositioned that hero banner to be more of a guiding banner based upon someone's previous website experience or website interaction. So let's say they're an account holder. They go log into online banking, but they've been meddling around in some of the mortgage pages. Next time they come to online banking, they don't see the generic banner. They now see download the mortgage buying guide to get the home you love. Oh, I didn't even know you you have a guide. You have something that can help me that I don't have to talk to anyone. Yes, because it's the first step. I want to educate myself. And then whenever I'm ready and have that level of, I need to have that conversation. I've, I've done a little bit of an education, but I know that it's like, I need to talk to an expert to get to that next step. Yeah. So how do you differentiate between the expert being positioned as a hero versus the expert being positioned as a coach. Cause I have been through sales processes and I, you know, I think about, um, I mean, I, we even, we own a business called Altos research and our, our ebook is one of our best lead gen like tools that drives people to the finish line, but we still consider it an expertise sell and something about that expertise sell feels heroic to me. So like, how do you like differentiate between like the expert being the hero and the expert being empathetic? Uh, I'd say the, it, it comes through empathetic expertise and, and we might be, we might be slicing hairs on this one, but it's, it's language, it's verbiage within yeah. the guide itself. I mean, think about it. What, what is it? What is it called? It, ebook. I said, no, it's, it's a guidebook. Uh, it's a guidebook to get to where you're looking to go and, and the way that it's framed, the way that it's written. So for example, the guidebook starts off addressing common questions, common concerns. Oh, they get me. Then it's, and, and then we have a whole story selling methodology that we teach and it follows a story archetype of, you know, every hero starts off, they have a problem, they have questions, they have concerns, they meet a helpful and empathetic guide that must first build trust through content, builds up the level of trust, finally calls them to action going forward. It might feel he- heroic to you, but to the one who is reading it, they're looking at this. This is my roadmap. This is my guide to get to where from the pain I'm experiencing in the present moment to get to the pleasure that I'm looking to achieve in the future. All right, James, I'm guessing our audience thought we were going to spend this whole conversation talking about tech tools and solutions, which is typically the the conversation you have when you talk about digital innovation and a digital future in the mortgage industry. But we just spent the first half of our, our conversation talking about empathy and messaging. So do we keep going down this messaging path or do we spend time talking about the tech tools and solutions that actually supports a digital future? That's actually very fascinating that you picked up on this. Um, you know, and this is unintentional. This is just how a lot of the conversations evolve and transpire, which is whenever I wrote Banking on Digital Growth, I did not talk about technology until chapter, it was seven or eight. Um, I talked about technologies. It was that far into the book. And, and it was because if, if you, if you don't have a foundation in humanities, quote unquote, we'll call it philosophy, um, people, you can have the best technology. 
but it's not going to resonate with people. Um, whatever your community is, what is technology? Technology is nothing more than a tool that connects people, simplifies processes. Uh, it, it gives us scale. And the user, if we, the borrower, like they don't want to know what that is. They should never have to know the name of your, your LOS or your POS or your pricing engine. Like that should be behind the scenes. It's the empathy or the, the person or the expert or the Miyagi that, that should yeah. be front and center. Exactly. So, I mean, if we, we could shift the conversation of, <laughs> of, of, okay, so we've, we've got, we've got a foundation that this is about people. It's using technology to connect people with people. Technology has exponentially transformed the way that people shop and the way that people buy. And those external influences are also impacting the way that people buy within, say, the mortgage industry. We can't deny that fact. So what do we do? Where do we go? What technologies, what, what are the tools, if you will, that can help to communicate this level of digital empathy that we're all looking to achieve, I, I think? Yeah. So it sounds like a, a, you come into a lender or a consumer bank and there's this conversation about where they want to go, how they're going to get there, um, learning around empathy and, and being the brand that consumers will interact with digitally or in person or, or through both channels. Uh, but how often do you find that people actually have the, the tech stack to, to provide a good consumer experience? It doesn't matter how great the language is. If the experience is clunky and sites are slow or you, you know, you, you hit a wall that forces you to call a 1-800 number unless that's the strategy. So like, how do you start connecting strategy, humanities and technology? So this gets into uh, what we frame as the digital growth engine. And the digital growth engine is built of four different gears. Uh, in the middle, we're going to start with the first two gears. You have what we call a website that sells connected to a marketing automation platform. And I make the distinction of a website that sells because the primary goal of the website is lead generation not just converting loan applications. We want to capture different leads at different stages of the buying journey. Um, where do those leads go? They go into the marketing automation platform. Those marketing automation platform can then nurture those leads. And then once they get to a certain stage, if we need to get people involved, now that connects to the CRM, which is the fourth year on the back end of the digital growth engine. So they'll manage that relationship. And I think that's an important point. What does CR, CRM stand for? Customer relationship management, or we reframe it to customer relationship multiplier. We're wanting to multiply the touch points that we have with a person throughout their buying journey. Because I think there's so much um, stigma around CRM, um, the pain of CRM. So now we're flipping from what we call the, the CX or the DX, the digital experience that people have to now, we also have to think about the EX, the employee experience here of the people who have to deploy these technologies internally. So let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum, the first gear of the digital growth engine, which is your targeted ads, your targeted emails that provide context, right content, right time, but also one other element. What do you need to make this engine run? You need fuel. And the fuel of the engine, that's content. And I would say the biggest exponential potential in today's digital world is meeting people where they're at, meeting them in the public square. And the public square is now, like it or not, it's not 2012, it's 2023 going into 2024. 
it's social media, and dare I say, it's TikTok. So you're taking consumer banks to TikTok. That does not sound like an easy path. <sighs> TikTok, LinkedIn, Insta. I mean, it's all going to be con- you know to to whoever their ideal market is. Yeah. I was just talking with a community institution that I worked with about five or six years ago. They built their digital growth engine. They've seen a tremendous amount of success in all of their different product lines, but there's a new problem. They have now realized that their content strategy is no longer relevant for this new world that we're in, um, which is a bit ironic when you think about what was TikTok in 2018, 2019? They weren't home buyers yet. <laughs> And they were home. And it was a bunch of a bunch of kids doing dances. It was musically. Yeah. And here we are now. You've got this whole new communication channel that is even challenging Google for searches. It's TikTok, or in financial services term, it's FinTalk. And I have a hypothesis, and it's not a popular one right now, and I'm okay with that. It's into where I live uh, as a bit of a contrarian. I have a hypothesis that as we move forward to a 2030 horizon line in this age of AI, which is a whole nother conversation, the, the individual brand of a lender, of a leader, has the potential to be as influential, if not even more influential, than that of the corporate brand. So you're saying your individual idea. originator, so the the person yeah. has it, and that, but I mean that's popping across all social platforms. Like it's become very apparent that Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram, now TikTok, all want person to person interaction, not brand to person interaction. And if the brand's going to be the communicator, then it's probably a, a monetizable moment there. It, it, very much so. But who do people buy from? This is a kind of a philosophical question. It, yeah, I mean, do they buy from? Do people buy from people, or do people buy from brands? And I think a, a really interesting point on this is Nike. Okay, Nike. People buy Nike, or do they, do they buy Nike, or do they buy Jordan? You know, go go ask the kids. What, what are you wearing? Got my Jordans. Got my Air Force Ones. So is it Jordan? Is it a person? And I think, too, when you look at kind of this whole fintech space, you've got a lot of fintechs that have come out with, like, first name. You've got Dave. Yeah. Right? You know, because it's just, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting time to be in right now when it comes to how people connect. And it's not. I wouldn't even say or my perception in mortgages, it's not even uniform across the industry. So, like, if you buy a house or refi through rocket you do that through rocket but if you do it through a mortgage broker or fairway or one of the other brands that has put their teams and originators like very front and center uh the you know teams at gr and movement like every every team has a little bit different approach but like there's definitely some lenders that are very brand first and others that are very originator first. And one of the challenges in in mortgage is it hasn't been a sector historically where originators stay at the same institution for the long haul. There's a fair amount of movement. And that's a, um, 
that's that's a dynamic that the corporate decision makers, the owners of these businesses, the CMOs, the, the CTOs, I think have to contend with as they develop content strategies is like how much how big is the roof that like the corporate brand puts up to to build brand, build hopefully like repeat customers, repeat borrowers um and how much do you put your originators front and center? Uh because that might be the tactic that drives the most business. It might be what's right for your employees, but those employees don't always stay. That's very true. I think about um, you know what I've seen uh, Alec Hansen do over at uh, Lone Depot. Um, yep. I mean, in, in wor- he's working with team, and it's that ed- idea of education and empowerment. And he acts as a he acts as. I mean, my perception of Alec, and I mean, he's spoken at our events. I think he's going to be back on the stage at the gathering in in April. Um, he acts as an, an influencer, an internal influencer. He's teaching the the LD originators how to how to get on camera, how to do what we're doing now. Um, he's got the, the the amazing studio, and he's not afraid to get um, colorful and have fun. I, I think he's leading by example as the strategy that I interpret. Well, and I think that's an important point is what we're doing here. It takes time. It takes skill. It takes, it takes courage to continuously go outside of yourself. And I think the big thing that holds anyone back from presenting themselves in this type of fashion is we're worried about what other people are going to think about us. I just did an entrepreneurship day for one of my kids at their school and it was on public speaking and I ask everyone in the class. And this is a group of eighth graders. And I had maybe like uh, 30 minute sessions. I had eight 30 minute sessions with, with these different classes, 85 to 95% of the kids said that they don't like public speaking in front of their class because they're scared of what their friends are going to think. And I go, wait a minute. And I pause and I said, you're telling me that you're, you're going to let what your friends who may not even be your friends what they think about you going to prevent you from achieving bigger growth in your future. And they kind of like looked and it was like an, it was like a light bulb moment that I'm not going to let someone hold me back from building a skill that can take me super far. So to the point of, yeah, of Alec, yeah, he's playing the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi internally. It's an internal influencer because and in, in, in this is kind of some of the, the thinking that I'm sharing in Banking on Change, which is my book that will be coming out in February, March of 2024. EX plus HX can be multiplied by DX. And what I mean by that is a positive employee experience, when combined with a positive human experience, can then be exponentially multiplied by a positive digital experience. We, we it, you know, it all, it's all interconnected. Maybe 2010 to 2020 was the year of CX com, co, consumer experience. 2020 to 2030, we're starting to see some of this trend. Um, I had uh, Joey Coleman on, he wrote a book called uh, Never Lose a Customer. And then he just launched a new book called Never Lose an Employee. And so this idea of how are we going to, you know, navigate the complexity here because we do have you know, people switching and whatnot. Do we want to invest in them? Do we not want to invest in them? I, I think it's, once again, these are the philosophical conversations that we're going to have to have because the way that people are shopping and buying, it's just continued to transform and evolve. And what's driving a lot of this is 
technology is driving the consumer behavior component here. And we can't control that. All right. So I'm sure I'm going to have to read Banking on Change to, to understand fully. So I'm excited for that book to come out. Uh, I, I'll raise my hand for a, for a pre-read if, uh, if you can talk me a copy. We talk about framing of evolution, the framing of digital evolution in housing. I think it's been, there's been a focus of what you talked about, like 2000 to 2010 or even 2020 was this big like CX focus. We got to focus on the, the user experience, the customer experience. We saw the proliferation of point of sale and digital experiences for consumers. That's been very front and center. Um, the COVID era, that, that really fast 2020 to 22 era, brought forward a big focus on digital closing experience. So the tail end. So you already got the customer pulled in, like, but now we got to close this loan, got to figure out a way to do it. We have to figure out a way to do it digitally. The era we're in right now, one where volume is lower, rates are high, and margins are compressed, the the focus is on operations and driving efficiency. So arguably that Closing experience and operations experience could be reframed and rethought of as the the employee experience, which might actually result in a much more empathetic and productive end market than just or end result than just saying, "Hey, we're trying to drive margin here, and we need to bring down operating costs by bringing in a little tech." Ultimately, maybe it does re- reduce. Um, human capital requirements slightly as the industry comes back into full swing, but it retains the people, the most productive team members with the best employee experience possible because they have better tools that they like using more. I think that's a key point. They have better tools that they like using more. So we're talking operational efficiency. You're bringing in new technology. We'll call this quote unquote digital transformation. When we look at the macro level, and this is a global view now, it's not even in mortgages, it's a macro level across all industries from people who are way smarter than me from you know BCG and Bain and McKinsey and Accenture, they're all saying the exact same thing when it comes to digital transformation. Historically, 60 to 85% of all digital transformation initiatives have either failed or have fallen short of expectations. And I think we have to pause for a moment now as we keep moving forward into this age of AI and automation. Question mark. Why? Why have 60 to 85% of digital transformations have failed or failed to meet expectations? It's not because of the technology. It's because of the human factor now internally. Once again, as I mentioned before, the people who have to deploy these technologies, you're changing the way that they operate. So and you know we we can go down a rabbit hole but it's it's people's habits that are informed that the actions that they repeat which are influenced by their feelings their emotions that are inspired by their thoughts that are deeply rooted in their belief systems and structures so when you're introducing new technology and you're saying change the way you do x y or z well, you're not just changing habit you might even be impacting belief systems and structure and that's where they're, I call them the four stages or the four seasons for human transformation, learning, thinking, doing, reviewing. And right now in this type of an environment, 2022, 20 to 20 to 2022, it was a season of doing, we were hot. We were doing a lot of things. Yep. yep. Now it's a season of pausing, biased action, reflecting, learning, thinking, about how we can do even better and get ready to do even better when we get to the next upswing. 
So, but we have to make that a habit now to learn, think, do, review, and build that into the operational model because we're, I think, we're going to be in a very interesting period of continuous evolution and transformation at a much faster pace as we move forward into this age of AI. James, I love it. Hey, Housing Wire audience, I hope you listen to this episode very closely. I'm um, going to go back and listen a few times and take notes for for my own business. I think there is some, some empathy that we can bring into our own technology suite and and messaging. And uh, I'm definitely going to get this episode in front of our newsroom too. There's a lot of knowledge here that will help not only the mortgage lenders that we talked about today, but also the real estate brokers who are doing their own and their own evolution of digital innovation in the technology companies that are building for this whole industry that don't, that need to think about the consumer experience and the employee experience and the empathetic messaging as they build product. And that's not just the lender's job as they implement. So James, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. We're pumped. I'm pumped to read uh, Banking on Change when it comes out at the end of Q1. So please, uh, please give me a copy and um, would love to have a conversation with you again. Congratulations on the book and thank you for your expertise. Thanks for having me, Clayton. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to our listeners that take the time to go to Apple Podcasts and provide a review on the show. I want to share some a quick glimpse into what some of our listeners have shared. James D44 let us know that this is a great series of hugely important information for any real estate professional. DC girl Kayla shared, this is a great housing podcast that provides a great variety of information and insights on all things housing. 10 out of 10 recommend. This type of feedback is so energizing and drives us forward to continue producing great interviews for you. Please take a minute to go to the Apple podcast app and let us know what you think. Have a great day.